year of January. No telling how many of us have made commitments to go on diets. That includes even me. Uh, As a result, people like me are suckers for fad diets. Uh, For example, I know I've tried Atkins, South Beach, and a few others with very mixed results. But you may not realize this. Fad diets are not a new thing. They've been around for really uh, centuries even. In fact, uh, at the turn of the 20th century, a guy named Horace Fletcher came up with a radical idea to go on a diet so people could lose weight. He proposed this, that you take a mouthful of food and you chew it, and you chew it, and you chew it hundreds of times one mouthful of food. And his theory was all the healthy juices would be extracted and go into your system, and then after you're done, you get rid of the rest. So it would go like this. You go to a party, and parties were apparently very popular then with this particular diet, and people would sit around and chew one mouthful of food hundreds of times, and then after they were done, they would get rid of the pulp that was left while taking in the juices. I'm sure that made for very interesting parties. In the early 1900s, another diet was all the rage. This one sounds interesting, the tapeworm diet. Get this, people would actually eat a pill with a tapeworm larva in it. The tapeworm would grow and eat food inside the person's And then after apparently you got to your desired weight, you would take another pill that would expel the tapeworm, and you would be where at the weight that you desired. Of course, this was not an especially satisfying diet as people got sick having a tapeworm in them very often. And not only that, expelling a 30-foot tapeworm could be, well, unpleasant. Finally, in the 19th century, The most popular fad diet in that time was a wonder remedy made of this, arsenic. The arsenic was apparently taken in small portions, and people noticed that as you drank the arsenic, a.k.a. poison, your uh, metabolism would speed up. And um, sadly, there were charlatan salespeople who often sell the, uh, would sell the arsenic potion and not tell folks that arsenic was in it. And as a result, you can imagine Billy Bob thinking, wow, I could lose weight faster and quicker if I drink more. And then you can imagine what happened then when they drank more. You know, we don't have to do goofy things to learn to say no to food. In fact, you may not realize this, but... uh, Do you know where the very word diet comes from? It comes from the Greek word dietia, which means a way of life. A good diet is really, truly a way of life. And folks, dietia is exactly what we're talking about in our series on stewardship, a way of life, of how we live unto God. And we are looking really at God's word to discover Uh, what dietia is meant to be for us as Christians, even in this crazy, contemporary, modern world we live in. Indeed, Jesus spent much of his time teaching about this way of life lived to God in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where he presents this kind of countercultural way of living that was radical and blew people away. 
He tells us things like uh, uh, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount of how we are to love our enemies, how it's blessed to be poor in spirit. He tells us even in our chapter things like how we need to give to people and give to God, but to do it while no one's looking. He even tells us how to pray, how to pray with longing, how to pray to a God when we're in need. Today, we're going to talk about another aspect of this radical living that Jesus proposes in our text, and it is that radical way that's not, your, not so much a diet, but is definitely a dietia, and that is fasting. This coming week at Redeemer, for those of you who are new or those of you who haven't kind of been, uh, have maybe have forgotten, this coming week, starting Monday and going all the way to the next Sunday, is going to be the week of Jubilee. This is our very first one. And the week of Jubilee is meant to be a week where we actually take an hour, a day, even a week, fasting from something good in our lives so that we can actually engage God in fresh new ways. Now, to be fair, fasting isn't peculiar to the Christian faith. There are other religions in the world that practice fasting. Think of the Muslims with Ramadan, for example. So that, imp- that really raises three important questions for us. Should we fast as Christians, because other religions do it, what makes Christian fasting distinctively Christian, and how can we fast together on this week of Jubilee? How can we fast? What does that look like? Tell us how to fast. Well, first, let's look at the first question. Let's look at Matthew 6 and what Jesus teaches about fasting in particular. Now, he's teaching his disciples with a lot of other people listening around him. And he's teaching them about what it means to live this countercultural life, how to follow the Lord in a dietia, if you will. And he talks about all this crazy stuff about loving your enemy, things like that. And then he says this in verse 16 of our text. He says, when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Did you catch that first phrase that Jesus said? He said, when you fast. When you fast. And he's in, Jesus is immediately answering our question, should we even bother as Christians doing this? And the answer is yes. He is assuming that Christians fast as a part of our pursuit of God. In fact, really, fasting is all over Scripture from beginning to end. Moses uh, gave the law to the Israelites in the Old Testament, and he taught them that they should fast. Uh, That they should fast, in particular, one day a year called the Day of Atonement, where everybody would concentrate on on how they have uh, offended God by not obeying Him and seek His forgiveness by grace. Also, not only did Moses teach fasting, but in the rest of the Old Testament, you find the people of God regularly fasting in major events that are coming up with the, um, with the people, especially difficult moments, hard things that are happening to the entire nation. God would call the people to fast and to seek his face. Even in the book of Acts, you find the church fasting. A good example is in Acts 13, when the people of God were facing a very big decision about whether to send 
Paul and Barnabas out, their best pastors, out to do missions in other parts of the Roman world. Most importantly, Jesus himself fasted. Most notably, in the earliest chapters of the Gospels, like Matthew 4, where Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights as he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Clearly, fasting is a spiritual discipline that Jesus wants us to practice in our lives. But that brings us to another important question. What exactly is fasting? Well, I'm going to give you a real technical definition, so hang with me, guys. Fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food. As, or, we might even say not just food, even some good gift from God for the purpose of seeking God. It's the process of giving up something good for a season in order to seek God's grace in our lives in a unique spiritual way. Now, the key word here is abstinence. Uh, Normally from food, but it can be from TV, a cell phone, the internet, sports that you enjoy. The key difference between a fast and a diet is this. In a fast, you replace the time that you don't spend doing something with time spent with the Lord. You go to prayer, you go to the Word, seeking God in a very intentional way. Now, at this point, some of us who come from a background and maybe certain religious traditions might say, well, wait just a second. There are some religious traditions that say, fasting is a way to appease God, to make God love me or like me. Don't some corners of the church even require it at certain times of year to the point that you can even see that people are doing it? Well, that gets us back to Jesus' very words here in Matthew 6, verse 16. And when he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you fast, though, Jesus clarifies, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. This gets at the question of what does it mean to fast in a distinctly Christian way? Not just any way like other religions do, but in a Christian way. Well, the first way Jesus tells us that is he tells us negatively. This is what fasting isn't, is what he says. And here's what he says. The first thing Jesus says is, fasting isn't being a religious fabulist. A religious fabulist. You're like, what's a fabulist? Well, a fabulist is Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton is known not for anything she's done, but she's famous for being famous. That's a fabulist. They want to be known to be known rather than for something that's been done. Jesus is saying, apparently, in his time, there were people who were religious fabulists, who were doing things so others would see it, so others would notice. And the result was that they got their reward, as Jesus said. They were known. But, of course, fame passes, does it not? Fame comes, fame goes. 
And Jesus wants us to do something very different in our time. He wants us to practice something that really is a forgotten art in our spirituality. And here's what it is, guys. It's the discipline of anonymity. The discipline of anonymity says, I'm going to do something with the Lord that nobody knows about. And they don't need to know about it. Because this is just between me and the Lord. In our age of Twitter and Facebook and, and check out what this has happened lately, we have forgotten the discipline of anonymity, of just us and the Lord doing business. And that's enough. Jesus is teaching that in our text today, to move towards spiritual anonymity, that God knows what we're doing with him, and that's enough. There is a second warning to consider in fasting. And I really want to get to this because this shows up sometimes even in evangelical circles with our Bible studies and things. And here's what it is. Fasting is not meant to be a mechanical action we do just because other people are doing it. Fasting isn't meant to be done just because other people are doing it. It's a voluntary action. It is a unique occasional action. And let me say what this means. If you don't want to fast this week, don't do it. It is totally voluntary. I can't command you to fast. I can tell you that it is a practice that helps you get to know God better. But you don't have to if you don't want to do it. No problem. No issues there. Now, if you do choose to fast... I would encourage a few of you, especially if you have health issues with how you eat and what you eat, and you choose to do an eating diet, I mean eating fast, uh, that you talk to your doctor. You don't just do this off off the cuff, because fasting, even if it's for a few hours, even a few meals sometimes, can have adverse effects if you have physical issues. But here's what I would say for all of us. If you plan on fasting this week, be intentional about it. Plan it. I'm going to do it this day from this time to this time, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to replace the time I spend doing this with time with the Lord doing this. That's how you do a fast. Now, there's one last consideration on what not to do in a fast, and this is probably the most important idea. And you ready for this? This is key. Fasting is meant to be done not as a way to manipulate God. So this is a common belief in some health wealth circles that if I fast, God will bless me in the way that I envision. The truth is, God may bless you in ways you envision. He may not. Remember, He is the sovereign. As Donald Whitney says, what we need to understand is that fasting doesn't change God's hearing. Fasting changes our praying. It changes us. Now, some of you here have even struggled somewhat with prayer itself. And you think, to go to fasting and prayer, that just seems like a bit too much. Because when I pray, it doesn't seem like God hears me. And you know what I'd tell you? Change your view of God. Listen, when God hears you praying, do you know what he does? 
He isn't the God who's saying, oh, did you say something? Oh, what was that you said? Well, whatever. That's the way we think of God very often. You may tell you what God is doing with you when you pray. He's leaning in. He's listening. He's saying, what's that you want? Tell me that again. Because I'm eager to hear you. Talk to me. Ask me. I'm your father. I want to give to you. Can you believe that about God? Because that's the very nature of prayer, is that he's leaning into our prayers. He's not pushing us away. That brings us to the real purpose, therefore, of Christian fasting. We absolutely ask God for things in our fasting and our prayer. But more than anything, we have a concentrated opportunity in our asking to know God better. Fasting is a time to know God more deeply. You know, this past uh, month I saw an article in the BBC about a school in Vermont. It's in rural Vermont. It's called the Mountain School. And apparently, um, kids, teenagers, uh, would go to this school for uh, months on end, and, and they don't have any technology. Can you believe that? No cell phone, no Facebook, no Twitter, no nothing. No connection to the outer world. And these kids, of course, go through DTs for a little while when they don't have what they're used to having. And apparently, uh, the average number of hours that these kids spend is like three-quarters of the kids spend three to four hours a day on the Internet in some way, and the other quarter spend like five or more hours a day on the Internet. So they go for months without the Internet. And you know what happened after a few months of this, being without the Internet? Listen to what one kid said. He said, I quote, I think it forced everyone to get to know one another on another level. That's what happens when you fast from something, even like the Internet. The goal is to actually engage God more personally, get to know Him and be known by Him. It's amazing when we take all these things that we have in our lives as distractions away, how often we actually hear God in the process of our prayers. Do you know why you feel lonely? Do you know why when you're surrounded by a bunch of people, maybe at church, at your work, maybe when you're surrounded by the internet where you're literally connected to the world and you feel lonely? Do you know why? Because the internet is safe. It's safe. You don't have to engage someone personally. It's a step away from impersonal connection. Ergo, you're lonely because you spend all your time one step away from personal connection. Fasting takes us to a place where we make personal connection by saying no to even things like the Internet. Now, someone today might say, okay, now how do I experience this whole thing of fasting? What's it like? And i got to tell you, I've been doing this on and off for a few months now because I'm, I'm not used to fasting. I haven't been doing it much in my walk with the Lord these last 10, 20 years. 
So I started doing it with different things. And here's what I found as you start to fast. You ready for this? This is going to be really exciting for you. Ready? When you give up something good in your life and fast, your heart will get a little fast. You will start to get nervous. Your heart will respond to the missing thing. And it'll feel like you've lost something. Even food. Your desire becomes more intense. More intense. Not less. You know what I tell you? When your desire becomes more intense, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that your desire gets more intense and ask this question of yourself. What is it I want? What is it I want? You see, we think we want food or the internet or things like that. And I'm saying, no, no, no. Ask what you want from that thing that you're stopping. What is it you get out of eating? What is it you get out of the internet? What is it you get out of things? And you know what I've discerned? I would have denied it a few years ago, but now I admit it. I stress eat. I learned the rhythm of my life is when I get really stressed, eating is how I handle the stress. It makes me feel better. It's comfortable. Some of you have your own rhythms of how you do things and why you do it. You must dare to ask that question. You know, really what I'm saying is is that fasting can be a lot like Jesus' experience of fasting in the wilderness where the intensity of temptation, the intensity of feeling comes even stronger than you would expect. So what do you do when that comes? What do you do with that, that feeling, that intensity? You seek the Lord. You seek the Lord. You seek Jesus Christ. And this is what it means to fast and really pray to God. And it's what makes Christian fasting uniquely Christian is when you feel all those feelings that go inside, you seek Jesus, not anyone else. You seek Christ alone, in the Holy Spirit alone. And why do you seek Him? To address your spiritual hunger. To address your spiritual thirst, because all desires can be summed up into that right there, spiritual hunger and thirst. Behind every action, behind everything you do in your life with your time, talents, and treasures is a desire. You want something. For example, some of us here uh, for, go to the Internet. I'm going to use that again because I think it's very common among us, even me. And why do I go to the Internet? In my case, I go for distraction so I don't have to think about other things. I look at useless sports information except for when NC State beats Carolina. Yeah, forgive me, Lord. Some of us go to the Internet because we go to, we go, we've worked all day long. We have done all kinds of stuff at our jobs. We've interacted with people, sometimes difficult people. And we want to go and have that distance of relationship in things like Facebook where we can say, hey, what's going on with so-and-so? And that's just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's good. But there's that one-step distance where we step away and we spend all our time on that because we don't want to deal with a the hardship that goes with being in a relationship with people sometimes. We long for safety. I think that's our number one reason why we go to the Internet. It's safe. 
We don't have to deal with the dangers that go with people. But you know what? Real safety is going to the Lord and finding your refuge in Him and finding your life in Him. He's the one who says, come to me. Come on. Talk to me. I'm leaning into it. Come on. John Mayer has a song called Gravity. Some of you probably know it. It's that blues rift. But he's got these great words that say this. Gravity is working against me. Gravity wants to bring me down. Twice as much ain't twice as good and can't sustain as one half would. You know what he's saying? We live in a world full of all kinds of things coming at us every day. And we, we get into this rhythm of believing what the world says. If I just have a little more of this, everything will be all right. And pretty soon we have everything and we have nothing. And that gravity of everything brings us down spiritually. Fasting is the resistance against gravity that says, I'm going to give up. To gain. I'm going to give up something good to gain Christ in my life. I want Him. Fasting, in other words, is a way to seek God and have Him satisfy your desires. Now comes the final question. How do we get there? How should we fast so we can find our satisfaction in the Lord? Well, first, you've got to remember this. Fasting is never an end unto itself. It's a means to an end. And that means the end is knowing God. You should pray with your fasting. How many times in Scripture does it say prayer and fasting goes together? Replace your time on TV or with food with a time of prayer. That's what you do in fasting. Second, while you're praying, pray with the Word of God. Read passages like Psalm 42, Psalm 63, Psalm 73, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Read them as you hunger for God. They stir that hunger, even in difficult circumstances. Third, realize that fasting goes with Scripture and prayer. And that is a potent combination for something that we don't sometimes anticipate in our fasting. I'm speaking from experience here. Conviction of sin. In fact, if you look up uh, fasting throughout the scriptures, you'll find very often fasting is tied to mourning. Meaning, as you fast, things will be revealed about you, how it's not the way it's supposed to be, how the world is not the way it's supposed to be, and your response is not to run to the thing that helps you feel better and helps you feel safer. Your response is to run to the Lord, the God who is over all that. This is a crucial piece. When you feel that angst about yourself not being the way you're supposed to be, go to God. Sit with the conviction of sin and then preach the gospel to yourself. You see, because long before you fast and seek God, He's seeking you. He's coming after you. 
He wants to love you. Fourth, fast and pray this week for our church. You know what number one prayer is for our church? And we need to keep this one regularly within us, and it's this. It's not so that we can be successful in whatever we set out to do. Number one prayer is for the Holy Spirit. Pray that the Holy Spirit would blow through all of us together. That is the most underrated prayer in all of Scripture. Holy Spirit, fill us. Make us alive and new. Totally underrated. But after you pray that prayer, start praying for the next year for our church. Because we do have some things we have to work on, including a building. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to know what to do as a body so we can move forward in getting a facility for our church. But do not ask for the facility without asking for the Holy Spirit and His wisdom first. Because we want Jesus to be the center of this decision as we move forward. And you know what happens as you ask these things? As you do these four things, seeking the Lord in fasting and prayer, as you say no to good things, you'll find out that you'll start to get a vision for better things in Christ. That brings me to my conclusion. I call this the week of Jubilee. And you probably wonder, what's Jubilee? Well, Jubilee is this thing in the Bible that they used to do among the people of God, where every 50 years they would actually change the way they do things wholeheartedly in the entire culture. They would reset the culture. And this is what they would do. They would forgive the debts of the slaves, the people who had gone in credit card debt, for example, and couldn't pay it back. Forgiven. Paid for by kinsman redeemer. And then they would take the land that people had lost over the prior 50 years paying off debts, and they would give it back to them. They would restore it. Jubilee is about restoration. And Jubilee is a picture of where we are going in this life. One day Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he will change the entire world. He will resurrect us. And he will resurrect the world. And he will give you your inheritance for eternity. And the starting thing he will give, him, give to us is himself. That's the vision you have whenever you fast and you pray. Is you look forward to where we're going. Because as you get a vision of what awaits us when Jesus returns in heaven, in a new heavens and a new earth, all of a sudden all the things that feel so critical and important in this life fall to the side, and you realize, wow, I've got Christ waiting for me in my new inheritance. Man, that changes the way I live today. That's what Jubilee is about. Focus on your future. Stop living for the immediate impulse of I've got to feel better now. 
Look to where you're going as you say no to this world and yes to Christ. That's what fasting in the week of Jubilee is meant to be. A call to us to give up the good that God has given us in this world for something that is far better, himself. And one day, a new life in heaven and eternity. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the Lord's Supper now, we pray that you would awaken our hearts, Lord. We are all numb in some ways with all the things that are demanded of us. We all, at the same time, have a lot of hunger spiritually about things. And we need you to feed us with yourself. And we pray that in these next few moments, in preparation, preparation for this week of saying no to good things so we can say yes to you, and even to our future as it comes, Lord, we want you even now to give us a taste of of your spiritual life through the Lord's Supper. Awaken us now, Lord, with the power of the Spirit. Give us that Holy Spirit that is truly our source of life for you, Lord, are the one worth hungering for in the end. Hear our prayers in Christ's name. Amen.